If you're trying to figure out how to navigate the tricky tightrope of parenting while you have questions, doubts, and wonderings about your spiritual journey, our podcast is for you. It doesn't matter if your kids are smalls, middles, or bigs. We'll explore what and how we're deconstructing from churchianity, harmful belief systems, and diving deep into the ways we can work this out in parenthood. We're also going to work through ideas for reconstructing a space for our families to thrive under new systems of love and freedom. We can't wait to bring you some hope that you're not alone and that it's really okay, even good, to explore all the possibilities that may have felt closed off in the past. Our podcast is going to offer you grace and space to be exactly where you are and who you are. We're really glad you're here and we're excited for today's episode. Listen in. When I started writing about deconstructing, I shared because I needed to know there were others out there like me. Now I share because I sincerely believe what I'm learning is good news. The good news? Maybe. I can now parent without paralyzing anxiety. I can now lovingly engage in the world without crippling guilt. There are so many parts of me that feel free, and that feels like something worth sharing. I'm not trying to prove anybody wrong or convince anybody that I'm right. I just want those being crushed by the pressure of getting it right to be able to breathe like me. Jordan Harrell, writer. Welcome back to the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. Today we're talking with Jordan Harrell, a writer and fellow Deconstructing Mama, and we're just super, super excited to have you here. So thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. So yeah, Jordan, I love having you on. What does a day in your life look like? What's your family like? And what especially makes your heart come alive? Okay. So I am a mother of three. Our daily life looks like school right now. This is our first year or my first year for all three to be in school. It's my first year to like have a full day to figure out how to be disciplined. And (laughs) because the whole point of me not going back to work was like, I'm going to go home and write words and write a book. Who knows? And it's like, oh, but then there's like laundry and I have to do the dishes. (laughs) And so I don't know how to manage my time well sometimes. So that's my challenge right now. And my husband is a head football coach in Texas. And so Our days are mostly filled with going to games because right now is actually his busy time where he has to be administrator on duty at like all the other sports. So we go to soccer games and basketball games and powerlifting meets so the kids can see him. And so that's what I'm figuring out right now is how to be a work from home mom because I've always had kids running around and trying to like navigate that. And now they're not there anymore. So a lot of my time is actually spent doing Friday Night Wives, which is a page and website and shop for coaches' wives. And we come up with merchandise. I write books for coaches' wives and devotionals, which is funny looking back on now. Uh, There's some interesting content in there that I probably don't agree with anymore. (laughs) Content creation is kind of what I focus on now for deconstruction and then also for Friday Night Live. So cool. I love that. So um, Liz referred to you as 
a fellow deconstructing mama. So tell us a little bit of why you were intrigued to come on our podcast. Well, I love Esther. So that was the first (laughs) thing. Um, I'm in a book club with Esther and I feel like in small town, East Texas, I don't have a lot of outlets for people to talk to about a lot of the things that I'm reading and understanding and processing. And so getting to discuss these things that like really feel heavy on my heart is a gift and having people in my life that I can talk freely with about this stuff. It gives me life. It really does. Like I, I feel isolated a lot where I am just because There's maybe one or two people at my church that I would feel comfortable to talk to about this. But for the most part, I do feel pretty alone. And while my husband is wonderful and supportive of everything that I'm going through, he's also not in the same place as me. Hmm. And so trying to navigate that has been a little bit tricky also. And so Esther gets a lot of my um, like verbal puking every other week in our book club. And so this is just like one more chance to puke all over people. So thanks guys. <laughs> what are the main things that you feel like you're wrestling with when it comes to your faith? Well, it's so many things. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all the things really. Everything. Right? Yeah. Everything. And it's funny because like, then you read a book about the one thing and, and it's like, they bring up five more things and it's like, oh my gosh, everything is all connected. I would say the thing that really like led me to this place was how did the church get to this place? And I think one of the big questions that I had that really like made my mind feel like it might explode was trying to figure out if the Holy Spirit is who he says he is, or it says he is, or the Bible says he is, then How is it possible that the South, where I am, the place with a church on every corner, like everyone I know goes to church, every single person I know goes to church. How are we (laughs) known for our racism and our hatred? And like, there were just so many things that I was like, I don't know how to hold these two things. I don't know how to say everybody I know follows Christ, but also I don't see the love of Christ in very many people and trying to figure out how to integrate the two and how that could even be possible was my first step to saying, this is not adding up. I didn't have the language for deconstruction. I didn't know that that was a thing until I went home one weekend and I had written about that specific thing. I don't know how to come to terms with the fact that everybody I grew up with and know is a follower of Christ. And yet it seems like there's so much hypocrisy and where is the Holy spirit and all this and what is its function? And he said, he gave me the word for it. And he was like, I I think what you're doing is you're deconstructing. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. He had gone through it and done the whole journey for the past five years. And he gave me podcasts and books and people to follow on Facebook and Instagram. And it was like that day I was just like thrust into this world 
And it was the most freeing thing. I was like, oh my gosh, like other people are doing this. I didn't even know this was a thing to do and that there were other people out there asking these questions. So once I was in it and reading the books and following people on Instagram, it was like one thing after another, like the patriarchy and the homosexuality and the religious right and There were all these things that all of a sudden it was like, well, purity culture, like there's so many things that I've got to figure out now Mm -hmm. that I've always struggled with, but didn't have the words for it because my culture, I was in such a bubble. So I, I never heard any outside opinions or any dissenting opinions. So once my world was opened to that, it was like, oh my gosh, I, I thought I was the only one. And I thought I was the only one that had these questions and these concerns and hell was a huge one. And so once, so once that, once that was even, I was even allowed to ask that question. I just felt like, okay, I, I I have found my people and I feel more free than I ever have in my entire life. Uh, Liz and I've talked about this when hell is off the table. And I think we're going to have a big podcast just about that. I love what started it all is really just generally like, how can we be preaching Jesus and yet we're not acting in love, period. Mm -hmm. Right. When that is the exact representation of who he is, is love. He loved every single person who was around him. So, and your other thought I think is really huge. And this is why we're doing the podcast. So many people feel alone that they're the only person doing this and they're the only person in their church and they're looking around at everybody else going. Yeah. Well, and I also, I feel like you have to have a certain level of arrogance to think that everybody around you agrees on this theology and yet you don't, and you're the only one. And so you must be right. And that's how I felt for the past, you know, five, 10 years. It was like, well, everybody else believes this and everybody else is going along with this. Like, who am I to think that I have a better answer? Because I, I don't think I'm smarter than everybody else in the room. It was a lot of me talking myself out of, well, nothing can be wrong because you're the only one seeing the problem. And once my eyes were opened to know you're not the only one seeing the problem, then it gave me permission finally to say, okay, I'm not the only one seeing this. So there really must be a problem. Well, and so many people are, are thinking that exact same thing. The more that I talk about my deconstruction, the more alienated I feel from certain circles. And yet the more I hear from people who I never would have thought are deconstructing who are saying, um, I just don't even know what to do with myself. The thing that's really hard, I think, about deconstruction, especially like in the church, is it's just really seen as this kind of like betrayal of faith. And it's not seen as this exploration of faith or even this desire for a just a real relationship with God where you're learning and growing and you're asking questions and you're trying to figure out how the world now fits in with the things that you know like it's it's kind of this beautiful dance really when you think about it that we're having with God where it really is a relationship right and isn't that what we've been told our entire lives that God is like relational so why is having a relationship with God then where you're questioning things not okay The other piece of it too is that I 
was pushed into deconstructing because kind of like what you said, one thing sort of tumbles and then everything else starts to tumble. Like I accidentally sort of fell into it and was like, now I'm here, right? right? And now I am scared and don't know what to do. And I think that's what happens for a lot of people. They all of a sudden lose their footing and they're just like, wait a second, like, where do I turn? I need somebody to guide me through this because it's scary. And for a lot of people, it causes anxiety and panic attacks and depression because they don't even know like who they are anymore. They don't know how to parent anymore. Everything kind of falls apart when everything you've known for your entire life or everything you thought you knew for your entire life and this assurance that God is going to make everything work out Mm -hmm. perfectly. And then when you start to question some of those things, it's really like someone just like rips the rug right out from under you. It's not this cool, sexy thing to like deconstruct. It's like, ugh, this is hard stuff, right? Like this is really, really hard. Absolutely. Yeah. And a little bit of my background is that I grew up in the Church of Christ. And I've talked to Esther about this a little bit, um, which is a wonderful, my congregation was wonderful, loving people who I really felt had wonderful intentions and raised me well within the church. My dad was a children's minister when I was born and then was a campus minister for a few years after that before he had to leave ministry because of severe depression. But I've been very, very fortunate to have been born to a cynic. So all of these skeptical thoughts that I've had my whole life, I do feel affirmed in that from my parents. And I feel very fortunate to be able to say that because I know a lot of people, the biggest drawback to deconstruction is losing those relationships with family members. And my dad has given me multiple books to read. And I think he's kind of walking through this at the same time as me, even though he's done a lot of digging his whole life. I feel like I have permission from my family to walk deeper into this and to ask the questions. And if I didn't, it would be a lot harder because I do feel loyal to them. And I do feel indebted to them for the way that they raised me. And I don't feel like they ever, I feel like the hypocrisy that I saw in my church body or in the denomination that I grew up in, which was very morality based. I never saw that in my parents explicitly. I think there were certain things that there were definitely a list of not to do's and to do's, which I think most families have, but we were very strict as far as no alcohol. I mean, obviously no sex before marriage and things like that. Like there were the certain things that like These are the ways that Christians live. If you do these, you're out, basically, is what it felt like. And so there was definitely that. But as far as loving others and being compassionate and having sympathy and empathy and reaching the people that were less fortunate and things like that, I always felt like my parents were Christ-like in that way. And I saw that from them. And so I didn't have to deal with years of that kind of hypocrisy and having to overcome that. It's still hard to to have to do that with a church body, but just feeling supported by my immediate family has been incredibly fortunate. Yeah. I think the cool thing you said there and you said it, I picked up two words and I love it. And you said your dad's a cynic, but your dad is Christ-like. 
<laughs> I, I think that's one thing that is really powerful in this process. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think Jesus was a cynic in some ways. Like he questioned everything. He was like, uh, no, uh, no. <laughs> and I love that about Jesus. You can be Christ-like, obviously Jesus was, and be cynical about the environment, the political yeah. and the religious environments that are around you. So just for our listeners, you have freedom to be cynical and Christ-like at the same time. Right. I love yeah. that. Now, Jordan, interestingly enough, when we were preparing for this, and I didn't know this about you, and I'm glad I learned, was that you had written sort of a parenting book a few years back. And I'm just going to read a quote from you from that time when you were in that space, maybe before you knew you were deconstructing. And here it is. This is kind of cool. And though she tried so hard to do it the right way, though she obsessed over raising them faithfully, determined to love them well enough to guarantee their salvation, peace eluded her until she realized their hearts didn't belong to her and their futures weren't in her control. So instead, she got down on her knees, held her hands open to the heavens and let them go. And then she rested, knowing every hurt, every mistake and every heartbreak was covered by a God who held her world in his hands and used all those things to draw her children, his children, closer to him. I think about that and what you were wrestling with and you were writing this Christian parenting book at the same time. And what parts of your book that you wrote and what parts of that quote really still resonate with you? And what maybe would say, oh, oh no, no, I don't, that's not where I am today. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a mixed bag, obviously, because I think a lot of what I wrote was kind of the beginning of me seeing holes in the Christian culture. And maybe I started tiptoeing towards deconstruction while I was writing it. Because the whole thesis of the book was kind of a critique on American Christian families. And that's, that's also why I didn't end up submitting it as a book proposal, because I looked at it after writing the first three chapters, and I'm like, all I'm doing is bitching and complaining about Christians. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably not a good sales pitch. So a lot of it was me looking at this American evangelical culture and saying, I don't think we've got it. Whatever we think it is, I don't think it's it because it seemed like so much of it was to be able to mold and form your kids into this like trophy family. And the goal was to have good Christian kids and to be able to make sure that they didn't do certain things and did do certain things. And there was never any actual spiritual transformation happening. It was mostly just behavior management. And it seemed like we were putting our money into things that didn't matter and cared more about our kids being good athletes and good students and upstanding citizens and things like that. It just seemed like everything was so competitive and we were missing the part about loving God and loving others. It was a beginning of an angry rant towards Christian culture and that part I still stand by. <laughs> The part that I don't necessarily is that I did put a lot of emphasis on your kid's salvation. I talked a lot about focusing more on 
your kids' eternities, making sure that your kids get to heaven. That's not necessarily where I am at this point. I believe in a God that is not going to punish my kids eternally for my shit parenting. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's crazy to me because we talk so much about how God's love covers us. We don't need to be perfect. We can just sort of like rest in that and rest in his love. And <laughs> I find so often, and this is like true of me. I mean, I'm a true perfectionist in a lot of, or no, I'm a recovering perfectionist, I would say. But that for sure has come from my faith background like a hundred percent yeah and i think the underlying question is do we really believe that god is gentle or do we believe that god condemns us to hell if we don't say a prayer or if we make, we make too many missteps because if yeah. that's what you believe then no matter how often you say oh but god is good god is good you're still reacting out of a place of feeling like you need to live up to something in order to achieve salvation. That's just so damaging. Yes. Well, yes, we're supposed to be resting in God's love completely. But guess what? If your kids don't say the magic prayer and if you don't do family devotions every night and you don't get them memorizing verses and taking them to church and blah, 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 then yeah, you're not really, you're not really being a good Christian. And that definitely plays out for us in so many ways. It's like perfection. I'm making God completely happy or he's absolutely angry and wrathful at me. Well, I also feel though that looking back at myself in high school and college and 20s, I mean, last year, let's be honest, <laughs> seeing that whole quest for perfection and morality and all of that, like in the mixed signals that we did get growing up, it created within me this sense of superiority to everybody else who wasn't doing it right. It created this wall between me and everybody else who wasn't following the formula and doing it the right way. And I couldn't connect with them on a deep level because all I did was pity them or judge them or think, well, if you would just do X, Y, and Z, like all your problems would be solved. I have the formula. If you want it, I'll give it to you. But never having genuine compassion or always, especially growing up, I did always feel like I couldn't truly connect with people that weren't living the same way as me. And I always had to keep them at arm's distance because I felt like either they were going to sully my witness or I was going to start going down the slippery slope or... <laughs> There's all sorts of reasons why I couldn't associate. And definitely growing up when you are trying to figure out who you are, there is some safety and boundaries for sure. But the sense of superiority I had, I feel like was 100% from my religious upbringing and thinking not that I was better than them, but that I had, I had the answers and they didn't have the answers. And if they would just listen to me and live the same way that I was living, all of their problems would be solved. And it's so black and white and it's so simple and I don't understand why they're doing that. And so it creates this disconnection from you and the rest of the world because if it's all about doing the right thing and, and, and not doing the wrong things, then 
you judge everybody else inherently, even without meaning to. You have an agenda for every kind of yes. relationship that you have. And that doesn't mean that you can't still do good things. There was great things that were happening in some of the churches that I grew up in for sure. And they were doing good work. Even, you know, you go on missions trips when you were younger and it was all about bringing souls to Christ. And maybe you were like building a few things and maybe you were like fixing some stuff at a local church. Flirting with some boys. For sure, flirting with some boys, yeah. <laughs> Everything has an agenda. And when things have an agenda, you can't have a real human relationship with people. And the way that my relationships with other people have changed since I started deconstructing are really immeasurable. And it goes back to taking hell off the table, right? When you take hell off the table, it changes the way that you relate to other people because you're no longer feeling responsible for their salvation. Right. And that's kind of what we talk about, too, when we talk about parenting, when you take hell off the table and you just approach your kids as human beings that just need your love and support and respect. And it's not about like getting them in line so that they get through the pearly gates. It's just about loving them here on Earth and creating a safe space for them. That's just like life changing. So powerful is. And I like think about Jordan's quote to go back to her original quote that we had at the beginning. I can now lovingly engage in the world without crippling guilt. And like, I can love people without an agenda finally of getting them to come to my side. And that includes our kids, our family, our spouses, our coworkers, everybody. I can be free. And everyone's like, oh, why do you feel so free now? It's like, well, because I can be free to love well and without guilt and without fear. (laughs) Yes. And trying to pass that down to my kids now is so, it takes so much pressure off of me as a mom to not have to form all their opinions. And it was, it was so freeing to come to a fully affirming place also, as far as LGBTQ goes, because that was so hard feeling instinctively like there's a part deep inside of me that feels like this is wrong to tell my kids that those types of people, quote unquote, are going against the will of God and that's a sin and blah, 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 blah. But it felt like I had to do that because that's what I was raised to believe. And so so it felt like following my my religious upbringing and these religious convictions that I had was almost going against my instincts, which you would think is like, you know, your fleshly desires or whatever is is what that would be termed. And I can't trust myself and I can't trust my inner voice to be able to tell me. Oh, oh, no. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. I cannot handle any of that. Red, Red alert, red alert. I cannot handle any of that because really, ultimately, I feel like the Holy Spirit, our souls, who we are deep inside is ultimately like the Holy Spirit. And we're, when we're denying our true selves, we're really denying the Holy Spirit. It's, it's true as a mom, these sort of instincts that we have growing up in these evangelical fundamentalist churches sometimes do trump our gut feelings. And, you know, my husband's better at this than I am, but my two-year-old son is all things dress up, all things makeup, all things Barbies, like everything his sister does, he wants to do. And I have these moments sometimes where I'm like, oh, well, we should probably get him like a green tricycle because like we just have a pink one. And Eric's like, what? Yeah. Who cares? What are you even talking about? But instinctively, I'm just thinking like, oh, he's a boy. 
I consider myself pretty progressive, very affirming, you know, of like the LGBT community and very inclusive. And, but still my brain, since I was a tiny, tiny person was Mm -hmm. wired to believe these certain things and instinctively, right. You just sort of go back to it and you kind of have to pull yourself back and say, wait, we're not, we don't, aren't there anymore. Like we're here now. Liz, I am right there with you. It is so hard when you've been conditioned for so long to suddenly change directions. And my kids will be like, mom, why did you just say that? And I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not supposed to sit. I I don't think that anymore. I don't believe that. I don't believe that anymore. (laughs) And they call me out because they're just trying to help me to stay integrated. And they've seen this long, slow journey for me and they've been part of it. And it's so cool that we get to go on this journey and then our kids get to watch. And sometimes, yeah, even your husband, Liz, is like, ah, it's fine. It's fine. And then you have others pull you back to where you are now, which is so great. So Jordan, what have you found? Because we've talked so much about this parenting. What have you found is the most helpful to you as you walk this tricky tightrope that you can share with our listeners. Maybe it's somebody you've read or something that you've held internally, whatever it is, what have you found or learned that's been the most helpful? I feel like there's been so many individual authors and writers that I found on this journey that separately have given me so much hope, I guess. One, one of the which is also interesting. One of my favorites is Rachel Held Evans, which I feel like is everybody's favorite. But it's also interesting because I read her first book 10 years ago, pre-deconstruction, when it was still called Evolving in Monkey Town. I read that. I had asked for it for Christmas. I don't know if I had any kids yet. It was right around then. And it was my favorite book ever. I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, she's saying the things that I've always thought. She came out with another book a year or two later and I was scared. I was scared to read it because I was afraid that it might push me even further into this questioning. And so I avoided like the plague, anything that she wrote or anything that she did, even though her words were like a balm to my soul. I was still so entrenched in my evangelical community and family and everyone close to me and around me believed a certain set of beliefs. And to come up against that was terrifying to me at the time. So just in the last six months, I've gone back now and I've read more of her works. And there's part of me that grieves that I didn't fully step into that 10 years ago because I feel like, oh my gosh, I've lost like a decade of anxiety-free living. But at the same time, it's like, I wasn't there yet. And and I don't think I could have forced myself to be in that spot if I wasn't. It was terrifying to me at the time. And I think I needed the shove of everything that's happened in the last five years, privately and politically, to make me feel like it was okay and to not feel paralyzing guilt over it. And so she's been a huge one searching for Sunday and inspired and evolving in Monkey Town, which I think is a different title now. A lot of her works and then the Brian Zahn book that we've been reading, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. I actually put a resource list together on my Instagram, Jordan Harrell, writer of all the books and podcasts and Instagram pages that I've been following that now (laughs) I do sometimes feel guilty that I'm creating a new bubble for myself, but there's so much comfort in it. And so I think for right now, like I just need it. I just need to sit in this new bubble just to feel not alone. 
And eventually I might open my world up to more broad perspectives, but right now it's, it fills my soul. I feel like I've had this like emptiness and I've been so hungry and thirsty for it that I do feel like I've been binging the last six months on all the books and all the podcasts and everything because it's like, oh my gosh, this has always been out there and I didn't know. Rachel's first book is called Faith Unraveled now. Okay. But that is a really good one for listeners who are just kind of trying to begin that journey. I feel the same way about Rachel. She did immeasurable things for my faith yeah. journey and my willingness to have kind of a justice driven soul while also having grace. I just think yeah. she did that so, so well. Yeah. And we're, we're actually going to add Jordan's very, very comprehensive list for our listeners because they do help us not feel so alone. And I, I like your idea, Jordan, of we do need a, a bubble for a time just because we're wounded <laughs> and we need other voices to combat what we've thought all our lives. <laughs> so, yeah. And we need to not feel alone. We need to not feel alone. So thank you so much. Where can people find you? I am on Facebook as Jordan Harrell writer. That's my Facebook page. And then Instagram is also Jordan Harrell writer. I might have a Twitter, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I like accidentally remember that I have a Twitter and then I get on there for a second and then three months go by and then I'm like, oh, I have a Twitter. And then yeah. I go on there. I'm like, eh, Twitter. Uh, it's too hard. I don't know. I can do Instagram. <laughs> I can post a picture and say something about it. I can right. do that. Yeah. <laughs> same Twitter, same, same, same. I'm the same. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It's been so life-giving to us to have you. I thank you for your boldness. And your page has been a breath of fresh air for me, a major breath of fresh air, your ability to be bold and courageous and have integrity to come out or whatever we want to say Um, in in a very scary place. I applaud you. I'm rooting for you. You know, I love you to death. So glad that we've met. So thanks so much. Yeah. Thank yeah. you all so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode on the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We love that you tuned in and hope that this gave you a little bit of grace and space for your soul to breathe. Don't forget to catch up on any of our episodes that you missed. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Deconstructing Mamas. That's where you'll find all the information that you need about the podcast, as well as on both of our websites, EstherJoyGets.com and ElizabethPetters.com, as well as our brand new website, DeconstructingMamas.com. If you would like to support the podcast, please leave us a review where you listen and especially tell others about the show. Thanks for listening and come back again for our next episode. We can't wait to be on the other side of your headphones.